Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, introducing your host, L. Russ. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast today. First and foremost, I would love all of your feedback or suggestions on topics you might like covered on the podcast or people you'd like us to interview. So go ahead and contact me at lrust.com and let me know if you have any suggestions. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Today we're going to talk about hyperthyroidism. It's often a subject that's not covered a lot because it's more rare than hypothyroidism. And today I have Dr. Gary Forsman, and we just are so excited about our best-selling new book, The Paleothyroid Solution, which mostly focuses on thyroid health and thyroid hormone metabolism in general with a really heavy tinge towards hypothyroidism because that's more common. But today we're just going to touch on hyperthyroidism and get Dr. Forsman's opinions. Welcome to the show. It is great to be with you, Al. So in my impression of hyperthyroidism, and I don't know a lot about it like you do, but my impression is that when it happens, it might be able to be treated for a while, but then usually there's an end result of either removing the thyroid or zapping the thyroid to control it. Could you get into a little bit of how how it happens? What what, what ignites hyperthyroidism? Well, sure. I mean, and again, as you uh, no, this is actually a complicated subject. There's many causes of hyperthyroidism, and it's always important for the doctor to figure out why. Hyperthyroidism, and again, the reason it's, uh, what you call it, the redheaded stepchild, or I don't think you said redheaded, but either way. I didn't say um, redheaded because I wouldn't rip on redheads because <laughs> I have so many in my family. But yeah, no, it's like the forgotten stepchild, right? You know, on average, is, you know, the, the estimates for hypothyroidism, who knows? If it, is it 30%? Is it more um, in terms out there? I think if you screen enough, it's more, but you know, but the, for, for hyperthyroidism, it's still about 3%. So it's about a tenfold difference, okay? And so and of the hyperthyroid conditions, okay, about 60 to 90% are going to be Graves' disease. And Graves' disease is the autoimmune disease where instead of the antibody that's being created attacking either, either the enzyme called thyroid peroxidase or the, the binding molecule called thyroglobulin, it's attacking the thyroid receptor. And this is why it's a very important tool for the doctor if they are ever suspicious of, um, of hyperthyroidism is to do the thyroid receptor antibodies and another similar test called thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins, and so that we can diagnose it accurately. And if you don't mind me stepping back a little bit, most people who present with hyperthyroidism, it's actually usually anxiety and palpitations in my practice. Now, again, hyperthyroidism is a lot like hypo in that it can present with a continuum of symptoms that are just you know, dizzying. That's why it's so important for doctors to use screening full thyroid panels, just like the ones we used for the hypothyroidism, because you will pick up on this condition as well. The only difference being is that you need these other receptor, thyroid receptor antibodies and TSIs to, TSIs to make the diagnosis of the Graves, uh, Graves disease, the most common cause of hyperthyroidism. And Graves then is like Hashimoto's, but they're acting differently, but both are autoimmune disorders that affect the thyroid? Correct. 
Okay, and so um, so when we talk about hyperthyroidism, it's usually a clinical presentation. And for all the audience, as you can think of, low thyroid slows you down, high thyroid speeds you up. So um, you could classically say constipation with hypothyroidism, diarrhea with hyperthyroidism, slow heart rate with hypo, fast heart rate with hyper. Um, you know, you know, and obviously there's this is a continuum. And I know you know this, Elle, of course, but for that for our audience out there, it's. You know, many people who come and think they're hypothyroid might be hyper, you know, because over a course of time, it can just wear you out and you're coming in tired and fatigued and you're hyperthyroid and, it, and they don't think it's going to be that way. They don't. All- that happened to me, by the way, when I was on too much medication and became hyperthyroid. At first, there's the jolty energy too much and then it, you're right, it kind of backfires and it becomes then you're exhausted. See, exactly. So not everybody, th- they think they're, they're going to be like, whoa, I love hyperthyroidism because I'm super energy, losing weight, you know, and then no, it's not like that. It's a, it's not a good condition, obviously. And there's an extreme condition called thyrotoxicosis, which just means our thyroid storm, which is uh, again, where it goes into a, a lot, potentially life-threatening condition with heart failure and these other things. And we obviously shouldn't be talking about that because those, whenever it gets that severe, you're in the hospital and getting medicines when it's in these crisis phases. So you have to take, most doctors take, take hyperthyroidism much more seriously than hypo because of potential acute life-threatening complications. Aside from, um, I'm assuming, and we'll, I mean, we'll dance around here, but, and if anyone's interested, we've already done podcasts on hypothyroidism and all of the details surrounding that. Um, and I'm assuming some of the same things are true. Obviously, you want all these good nutrient levels that are applicable to thyroid health, like ferritin and D and B12 and mm-hmm. et cetera. Is there something else that is a grave trigger. Like we know Hashimoto's can get triggered by grains as far as the antibodies go. Like, is there something with hyperthyroidism that can ignite, you know, graves to come upon somebody? Is there right. life factors or, you know, chemicals? I'm sure the whole factor of things, but anything you've seen? Well, so, um, and again, I'm, I'm going to take your question and twist it around a little bit. I'll, so before we get to the graves, I want to make sure everybody understands that their acute thyroiditis. So the first acute phase of um, Hashimoto's where the thyroid is being attacked, that is one cause for hyperthyroidism. So sometimes when you're hyperthyroid, that's actually Hashimoto's. Okay. Another time is iatrogenic, which meaning your doctor or you took too much thyroid. Um, And for all you people out there, one of the most severe cases I had of that, it was my own patient. I prescribed a compounding form version of T3 um, the patient uh, got a new prescription from a local pharmacy and the, the, the dosage within the medicine was over a hundred fold higher than it was supposed to be. She ended up in the hospital and obviously that wasn't a good thing. So have I caused iatrogenic hyperthyroidism by a prescription? So there's, and I promise I'm going to talk about Gray's. I really will help, but I just want to make sure everybody. Well, and also it wasn't you that screwed it up. It was the compounding pharmacy. Oh yeah. Well, it wasn't me. No, but, but yet again, you have to be careful. This is why doctors have told, been told, you'll may find that uh, so many doctors are told don't use compounding pharmacies. They're unreliable. I've had a few cases where bad, uh, you know, and this, this being the worst one where a complication, the woman made it through and she's fine now, but, uh, and she's still my patient. She didn't blame me, but it, it's one of those things where, um, you know, when she presented with these like tachycardia and she called the office, it's like, you got to go to the hospital. Something's happening. I didn't know what was happening until afterwards, but you know, so, so, Physicians can cause it or patients just taking too much. Um, acute thyroiditis from Hashimoto's can cause it. A condition called multinodular goiter can cause it. So there's a, and a few others. So 
there's many causes for hyperthyroidism, but the one I think everybody talks about the most is Graves' disease because it has the greatest potential for severity and these thyroid storms. And of course, is kind of a, an interesting disease from the autoimmune perspective and has so much overlap with the, the Hashimoto's that we've talked about. Um, and so it's really important that the right diagnosis is made, though. So, at, you know, I see so often, L, when people come to see me, that the, the wrong diagnosis is made. They don't know exactly why they have the hyperthyroidism. But let's assume for the, for the rest of our talk, we are talking about Graves' disease. You've had a set of thyroid tests. They've been found a high T4 and high T3. You're going to have a very, very low TSH, usually unmeasurable. And by the way, for everybody, reverse T3, our nemesis of hypothyroidism, is your body's great protector in hyperthyroidism. So when the body's T3 goes super high, I mean, I'm talking about we like it around the 3 to 4 range. It'll present in the 10 to 15 range. That person does not feel good. The high reverse T3 is there to protect you, um, and it'll help block some of the activities of T3. So remember, this is your one of your body's failsafe mechanisms, and so so we'll see the highest reverse T3s ever in in the cases of hyperthyroidism. Hopefully, your body trying to protect you from too much T3. Um, and at the same time, whenever we find the high levels, because I don't usually routinely screen, because we're screening usually for hypothyroidism, not hyper. But if I suspect hyper, I'm doing thyroid receptor antibodies in this TSI test to make sure I know what's going on. Um, and so, so we have the right diagnosis. Another statement for, for everybody in terms of the diagnostic evaluation, all the things that I'll just talked about is appropriate. We want to make sure we measure inflammation levels, vitamin D levels, iron stores, all the things that we do in everybody. Because too often we get focused on the one condition and not not taking care of the entire person. Can someone get out of a Graves ignited hyperthyroidism state through correcting all of these underlying levels less just like someone can with hypothyroidism or is it just tougher or not doesn't work as often? Most of us cuz I've been treating the, obviously doing this for quite a while and you know and I, I grew up with you know hyperthyroidism and we'll talk about the phases of treatment. I grew up doing radioactive thyroid, and I thought that was the greatest thing in the world. And um, and so I don't do that anymore, people. I wouldn't say ever, but rarely. Um, most of the times, it like, for instance, a, a lady that I saw recently, uh, um, the, the first step is because they're so anxious and things, I actually start with medicines. You give them the beta blockers to slow down the effects of the thyroid on the all the adrenaline systems. And it's like, a panacea. It's amazing how much better a person feels when you block some of the speeding up effects on the body. Because, and so that's just a short-term solution, by the way. It's and it's it's amazing though. Um, it break, blocks some of the effects of the thyroid, the ex, far excess thyroid hormone. And while you work on the rest of it, usually giving a medicine um, uh, called, and I'll talk about that called methimazole. Um, and if you give that combination, usually within weeks, you're you're just getting the person even off the beta blockers, and then you're correcting all these other things. And for the long term, you know, and long term meaning three to six months, you can often see a reversal of the antibodies if you do all these other things. Okay, and so, and that's the important part. Um, but but in the short run, no, it, it, with, this is such a severe condition. It's, you know, me, that's kind of like, it's going to be drugs first for this severe condition. Um, and then, and then of course, the long term is more about the natural things, lifestyle, et cetera. And really what we talk about in paleothyroid is, I think, maybe even more important for Graves' disease than it is for Hashimoto's. 
Um, it's not well studied in the in the medical world, as you know. Most, if you look up, there was a a review on Graves' disease in New England Journal of Medicine a few months ago, um, and it's still, gosh, we don't know what causes this, and you know, you know, what's what's a girl to do? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, zap the thyroid and put them on synthroid. It's the greatest thing in the world, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm paraphrasing, obviously, like ten pages. But anyways, it's sort of like that, and. And it gives underlying biochemical reasons and antibody reasons for the for the condition. But for the most part, what the trigger is for Graves' disease, we really don't know. Okay. Okay. Um, and so, uh, but my suspicion is it's the same underlying problems as it is for Hashimoto's. Somehow that person's um, immune response came out with just a slightly different antibody. And this one, instead of destroying the thyroid, actually stimulates the thyroid. The antibody that's made goes into the receptor site for the TSH, uh, thyroid stimulating hormone, everybody, um, uh, receptor site on the um, thyroid cell and stimulates it just like a TSH would. Okay. And, that, and that's TSI? And those are the TSIs, yeah. Um, and there's many subtypes of TSIs, and that's the breakdown these days. There's IgG1 and IgG4 and different levels. And that's where the, you know, mainly when doctors are studying that, they're looking for like, can we find a specific drug that knocks this out? Looking at the forms of immunotherapy that, you know, in this case, stop um, the, the thyroid attack from occurring. These new medicines the, for cancer, by the way, the immunotherapy drugs have a, I think it's on the order of a 10 to 20% chance of causing autoimmune thyroid disease because they are immune stimulants and they can cause thyroid autoimmune diseases. So the new drugs that we're using, especially in cancer, are going to become one of the bigger causes of, of, uh, of um, autoimmune thyroid disease. Um, What's funny, I've heard that on a lot of these, um, you know, awful <laughs> pharmaceutical advertisements. And then you listen to the list of... Um, you know, symptoms. And I've heard many of them being like thyroid cancer, or if you've had that, I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to take something for something else. And then you get thyroid cancer, like right. screw that. Well, that's part of the reason too, everybody, when we talk about it, you do an exam with the person, when you see them, should everybody with any thyroid disease get a thyroid ultrasound? And I think, you know, that that's a point of controversy, whether you're talking hypo or hyper. And the answer is you do test if you're confused. So if I have a patient that I'm clear is hyperthyroid, has Graves antibodies, um, there's no clear anything I can feel on palpation, sorry, examining the patient, I do not order a thyroid ultrasound on everybody with hypo or hyperthyroidism. Um, and the reason being, by the way, is that there almost everybody has some degree of thyroid nodules. Now, when I say it that way, if you look at autopsy studies where they just you know, slice up everybody's thyroid, it's at least at least a half of people have some degree of thyroid nodularity. Um, and so uh, so on that order, you're going to find a lot of things. And now you're going to get into the model of somebody's going to continually get an ultrasound. And at some point, somebody's going to want to stick a needle in there, often for benign conditions. And again, I you get now we're back to the breast cancer talk you and I had exactly right it, it, right about about having a little little something there and then they're going to keep poking and keep going and, and more times than not it's really they never needed to dig in the first place so I hear that domino effect yeah so of course people there's reasons to do things nuclear medicine thyroid scans you do that if you're confused about why the hyperthyroidism is there. There's reasons to do thyroid ultrasounds. I do think they're overdone mainly as a way as to getting you in the into the uh, basically into the flight pattern of being in a chronic disease state where we think we need to continually biopsy you and things. And so I, I, I avoid that. Um, 
again, I, I don't never do it, but it should be an individual decision. And you know how I am too. If somebody comes to me and they say, I just have to have a thyroid ultrasound, who, who's going to argue with them? I'll do one for them, but um, meaning schedule them, send them for one. But, uh, but on that order, in terms of diagnostic evaluation, it's primarily blood work instead of doing nuclear medicine, x-rays and all those other things. And so, so let's say, so let's say the person has they're correcting underlying issues. They've gotten tested for inflammation factors or nutrient levels. They're working on all of that. They're taking some medication and beta blockers that are going to, you know, and you said a few weeks, let's say they feel good. Let's say they get off the beta blockers, the antibodies go down. Are they pretty much like good to go there for a while without anything? Like, have there been people that have solved that and then they're going down the right train and it won't happen again? Well, what I tell you is because, um, you know, like I said, almost all of us have seen so many severe, all of us doctor types um, have seen so many severe cases of hyperthyroidism with Graves. We pretty much always treat, always treat it aggressively. And let's go into that, people. In America, the primary treatment, and, and, and I promise I'm answering your question now, um, but I want to go over to like, if you see a doctor with Graves' disease, and I, I really highly encourage that you do. I'm talking about even an MD doctor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even an HMO doctor. Well, okay. okay. Oh, no. Yeah, progressive. You know, <laughs> I know. Like, uh, they, well, of course, as you know, you go to the HMO, they'll immediately turf you to an endocrinologist. And, and we've talked about that scenario before, too. Um, but this is at least an area where it's a more severe illness. Western medicine, as you know, is better when it comes to more severe illnesses. So the difference kind of goes this way. And I grew up in America as a standard American doctor. And we were always taught, just zap the thyroid. They're all, you know, I'm sorry, zap means give a new, you know, radioactive iodine, which destroys the thyroid. Um, and then, because they're all going to end up on Synthroid anyways. Okay, that's the basic model in our country. Okay, is just zap the thyroid. Um, in Europe, the basic model is to give an anti-thyroid drug. Okay, which is, and classically, the only one that we use consistently is this one called methimazole. It used to be called tapazole. And, um, and we use this antithyroid drug, and basically it just blocks the, the uptake of iodine at the level of the thyroid and decreases thyroid hormone output. It's an extraordinarily effective medicine. And so when I see somebody with Graves, if it's severe enough to cause symptoms, they start on a low dose of beta blockers, and they're given recommendations on how to control it based on their heart rate and symptoms until they get better, and I promise we're going to get there, um, and they start on the methimazole medicine. If they do all the right things, usually within a couple of weeks, their thyroid levels are down so much that they don't even need the beta blocker anymore and they can taper off of it, okay? And so, and then when they do all the rest of these things, they're usually on, stay on this methimazole medicine for however long they need to, which is his own conversation. Um, and they're usually feeling so much better, of course, because, you know, thyroid hormone levels are coming back down um, and... They're not, you know, not feeling anxious and diary and all the other side effects, not side effects, effects of having Graves' disease can have upon a person. And so, so why did I switch to using the drugs? Because actually having a thyroid is a good thing, <laughs> as it turns out. Um, this idea that just knocking your thyroid out, sorry, the final approach to, to Graves' disease is to do surgery. Almost nobody does that anymore. It's very dangerous to take a thyroid out when the person's in the middle of hyperthyroidism. So most nobody does surgery as a first-line approach. It's just reserved for very rare cases. So our approach in America has been to use radioactive iodine. Most of the country, excuse me, most of the rest of the world uses this medicine, um, which is what I prefer. And the reason being is twofold. Um, number one, the flaws of radioactive iodine. Number one, you are zapping your thyroid for the rest of your life. You're pretty much 
taking yourself down a pathway where you're you're asking to be hypothyroid. And not that that's the end of the world. We've obviously talked about how to treat it for quite some length of time. Um, and so, uh, and so there is a way of treating that. But here's the important part: you also increase the risk of all the other Graves conditions. Because the problem with Graves is you can have eye an eye disease that runs uh, separate from the thyroid disease and skin disease as well too. Okay, so it's an autoimmune disease where we're giving radioactive iodine. You know how we talked about this, L. Most doctors focus on giving treating the thyroid hormone without ever treating autoimmunity. Okay. And be very clear whether it's an antibody about against a, a basically a growth factor receptor. There's a, f- a variety of other antibodies that seem to spring up in some people with graves that attack the eyes and the skin, the eye disease being the most concerning one. And with you give radioactive iodine, you can actually make the eye disease worse. Okay. So that's an that's another reason not to start with radioactive iodine. Number one reason I recommend to my patients, please don't start with radioactive iodine. We can always do that if the medicine fails, which it can, okay? Right. But, you know, this is like always in medicine. Start with what's the simplest approach. Use the medicine first. You can always zap a thyroid later, and you can always cut it out if you need to. So on that order, and why risk a greater risk of um, the thyroid thyroid eye disease? It's called Graves exophil. Forget it. It's the Graves' eye, eye disease. It's the. It's called exophthalmos, but it just means the buggy eyes that you can get with a, with Graves' Graves' disease. Right. Which and for people that out there don't know, sometimes people with hyperthyroidism get very skinny and have sort of a, a look of bulging eyes um, as well. And I also just want to I want to touch on a couple of things for people. So. I, our book, The Paleothyroid Solution, is applicable for you if you had hyper, had your thyroid zapped, and now you're hypo and you take medication. Um, I've had a couple people ask me about that, and it's like, well, the thing is, is if they've zapped your high, uh, thyroid and made you hypo, likely you're on thyroid hormone replacement, and then you would need how to op- know how to optimize that for the most part. Um let me mention that. I see. Let me ask about the antibody test. Did you, you said there was a thyroid receptor antibody test. I know there's the TSI. Is there a name for the other one? It's just TRAB and, okay. uh, and thyroid receptor antibodies. And some people are positive on thyroid receptor antibodies and negative on TSI. That's why it's important to get both. So same with Hashimoto's, get both because you get might both. be positive for one of the other. But go back to what you just said is so important. So many people come to me and they've, they've seen an endocrinologist. Okay. They've had their thyroid zapped. And for the rest of their life, they're told they have to be on Synthroid. They continue to see the endocrinologist and they might see me for another condition. I go, listen, you don't, you're feeling hypothyroid. We'll do our thyroid test. I'll show them that their Synthroid is not working well. And they still won't take the natural desiccated thyroid or some other solution because their endocrinologist, of course, doesn't believe in it. Right. And so that's actually a huge community of people who've had thyroid zapped. Um, the, I'm sorry, the, the radioactive iodine ablation of thyroid. Um, and they, of course, are now down this pathway where they think the only thing they're allowed to take is Synthroid because that's what they're taught by their endocrinologist, which, of course, is wrong. And, and let me interject and say we talk about this so in-depth in the book. In fact, I was interviewed recently, and um, the person interviewing me said, you know, the book is almost, like, worth it alone just for that interview if you didn't also need the other information as well. 
And you do go in depth and explain why endocrinologists think the way they do, why they... So if anyone's interested, we've talked about it on podcasts, and it's also in the book. If you want to hear a doctor's perspective, I just wanted to... And that's why the thyroid hormones we talk about are specifically important. Whereas, of course, you don't have to worry about the thyroid. You usually don't have to worry about the thyroid antibodies. And now I say that, there's a great cross-relaxion. Many people, that's why with Graves, actually have underlying Hashimoto's antibodies too. So it's supposed to be only 10%. My experience in my practice is probably closer to 20% have both antibodies, which is really interesting when I have my patients with those antibodies. They can fluctuate between hyper and hypo, needing mesthimazole and needing things more for treatment with, uh, with, um, for Hashimoto's because they kind of go back and forth, forth between hyper and hypothyroidism based upon which antibodies are more active. Yeah, and we, we touch on that briefly in the book, and that's why some of those swings can be apparent in moods. And then the person who's associated with that suffering individual has no idea or thinks they're crazy or bipolar or a jerk or whatever it is, and it really can be these thyroid levels. Um, I, I, let's, couple, let's touch on a couple symptoms. Um, so I, aside from uh, inability to gain weight, sometimes is a hyperthyroidism system. You mentioned like real frequent bowels or diarrhea. Um, higher metabolism, you might even eventually get more hungry uh, and, and eat more food because your body is hypermetabolic there. Uh, one of the things I noticed is, um, at first, again, it sounds like it's this great increase in energy and mental focus, but then it becomes uh, the level of anxiety or agroness that you feel, and it almost makes you detach from everybody because your mind's working. I'm, I mean, I'm already a fast talker and a fast thinker, but this was like a whole new level. In fact, it didn't make me speed up per se, but I, in my mind, I kind of couldn't deal with people. I felt like my mind was racing. And anyway, you also become warmer. Your temperatures, you get a little sweaty and clammy and really too warm. Are there any other symptoms that people should be alerted about out there? The biggest one is the mood one. That's the, the I've seen patients diagnosed with anxiety disorders and they didn't have the right thyroid test done. So um, it can, and of course, with anxiety, it can also present as depression. So this idea, as you know, hyper and hypo can both present with, you know, a hyper patient can present with a hypo symptom, so to speak. Okay. So, um, and so, uh, so it's why it's really important to you know, do screening and as you know, the overlap with adrenal function testing along with this, because any person who has chronic um, hyperthyroidism, because I do see a few of these, they don't want to take the medicines and they just go untreated graves for years. Um, and that's the problem. They can go on to have severe anemia just because of the hypermetabolism. They can have congestive heart failure. It's a really severe condition. You just don't want to mess with uh, hyperthyroidism, you know, so is it, and again, I'm, I know I'm medicalizing it, uh, uh, but I am a doctor, so I should, should be able to get away with that. Um, the, uh, <laughs> so, you know, the, you know, so when we talk about these symptoms, no, the weight loss, it's actually muscle atrophy that you're getting. Okay. So yes, you'll lose fat too, but you're, it's an unhealthy weight loss. It's an unhealthy energy, just like you're talking about. Um, and so it's, it just doesn't feel good. And I understand because there's a lot of people who don't trust doctors um, and they will actually refuse treatment for Graves' disease, and that is not a good choice. And just a brief segue, there isn't great, um, almost all the natural therapies and anything else that have been out there um, really work for hypothyroidism better than hyper. So there aren't any great natural therapies. Uh, the few trials that they look for, some of the homeopathic treatments and other things, they just don't work. So what many people look at, when it, is there a specific you know, should I take ashwagandha or some of these other herbs? And the answer is no, they don't make any difference. And 
you can take them if you want, but they're not going to make any difference in the gra- in the graves. And graves can be so severe, Al. That's why people, I just encourage you, you got to get some treatment. Um, and the key in the long-term success, I have two patients in my practice right now, which are so classic. I have one lady who's elicited everything. She started with the beta blockers. We slowly got, slowly got her off of those. We um, she had she had such high levels of thyroid antibodies, and really within three months, her tests are completely normal on a low dose of this methimazole medicine. She's no longer taking um, beta blockers, and all of her thyroid antibodies are gone. Now, why? Now, will her thyroid labs look like a um, so if she's treated well and just taking a little bit of the medication? Will her thyroid profile look like that of a normal person? It, will, it looks completely normal right now. Okay. Now, remember, she is on medicine. Okay. So it's a very important uh, you know, caveat there. Um, now, in her case, she went, she went gung-ho because she, you know, she was into what we were talking about. And I said, listen, you've got to go paleo. You've got to correct your vitamin D. Selenium is another great thing. By the way, there are double-blind trials on selenium in Graves' disease showing it decreases the ocular... Con- the eye complications, sorry about that, um, the, the eye complications. So once again, we actually have a trial on selenium helping with, and the theory in this is it might be because of its antioxidant properties or is it because, you know, there's a variety of theories why it may work, but selenium definitely will help with preventing the Graves complications um, uh, of, excuse me, the eye complications. Um, whether it really helps with the effectiveness of methimazole, uh, and by the way, if you go to PubMed and look up the trials, the answer is probably not. However, my experience is when you do everything in combination, if the person really buys in and does everything, you can make this autoimmune disease go away as well. Um, and do I think the paleo part of it is is a key component, meaning cutting out the grains? And you, everybody, our audience should know what paleo part of it is by now. Anyways, sorry about that. So it's like, hey, wait a minute. This is the right audience for this. Um, anyways, <laughs> no further explanation needed. Um, sorry. That's right. But that is such a key thing. And then correcting underlying vitamin D and collecting underlying adrenal. So you really have to treat the person, once again, not the disease. So as I'm sorry, guys, for this trite but truism, but Western medicine treats diseases, not people. Natural medicine treats people, not the disease necessarily. And you have to do both, of course, okay? Right. And and I really trust when you say, because you work with so many different herbs and vitamins and things like that. And if if you're someone to say, you know what, that stuff's not going to work over here, you're not a doctor that doesn't believe in that. You're just saying it can work over here, but it's not really working over here in my practice. Just, yeah, exactly. And so when it comes to something as severe as this, you know, I, you got to step up your game a little bit. It's just like, you know, you can treat a, a, an easy urinary tract infection with mannose and cranberries and things, a bad one that's a kidney infection, you use drugs, you know, and so, it's just, <laughs> right. you know, it's the same thing with this is this is a more severe condition. You know, you get ahead of the problem. The problem is when it works, you know, the person can fall into the myth that they think that they need to just stay on the medicine forever or all these other things or the drug is the answer. Because you can imagine like the lady I see, now she knows she feels so much better because she's eating well. By the way, she was actually very heavy when I saw her. She's lost weight since we started treating her Graves' disease because of her dietary change, okay? Yeah, that's another thing too is that, you know, people think just because if you have hyperthyroidism or you're hyperthyroid on medication that you'll be skinny and lose a bunch of weight. But like you said, A, it's not the right kind. And also it backfires. I'm here to tell everyone it absolutely back. I mean, I didn't try to achieve that, but I'm just saying it will backfire on you in terms of appetite, weight gain, and things like that. And um, I think a, a probably a good celebrity uh, case of that would be Missy Elliott. 
who had Graves' disease, but she was overweight and people don't associate overweight with Graves or with hyper usually because they think, right. oh, this is great. You know, you're, right. you're burning all this fat. And I just want to throw out, I've thrown it out before, but people who are out there who think, oh, I have a thyroid issue. I'm just going to go on thyroid hormone replacement or get some T3 taken and lose weight. You are asking for problems. It's going to backfire at some point. <laughs> and it's really a Goldilocks situation and not to be messed with unless you really do have a problem. Um, so I just want to point that out there because I know some people are like, oh, what? T3 is fat burning? Oh, I'll go get some. Or, oh, I, 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 I'm sluggish. I'll go take this thyroid hormone. And the thing is, you can really walk into a, a crap storm on that one. And so it's this stuff's not to be taken lightly. Um, just want to throw that out there. So um, this might be a shorter podcast, but anything else about Graves that um, would be valuable? Yeah. So yes, I want to continue on. So patient number one, the one who follows everything and now our antibodies, it's only three months. So it's surprising that things got that better. My feeling is I'm going to keep her going for about six months on the methimazole and then we'll gradually taper it be very clear. There's a possibility of it recurring. We don't know what the trigger for Graves is, one of your questions earlier. Um, I know stress plays a role. There's ongoing studies about everybody's studying the, the microbiome. So is there a gut bacteria component to this? So of course, these people, these people meaning patients I treat, they're on probiotics. They're doing the other things necessary to deal with their gastrointestinal health. They're dealing with stress management because we don't know what triggered their, their Graves disease. And your point is, is, is we've made many times before, which is you want to treat the autoimmune disease, not just the thyroid that's being affected, because the disease is primarily autoimmune. It is not just a thyroid problem, right? And so, so the, that's the problem. When you just take the methimazole, the antithyroid medicine, um, it does treat the organ that's being affected, of course, but it doesn't treat autoimmunity itself, which is what the rest of what we're trying to accomplish. So we correct the vitamin Ds. We do the rest of those things. The hope is she, if she stays the course, and this is the big if, okay, does she stay on the paleo? Because, you know, people can burn out from that. All the rest of those things, and they, you know, the, the rest of the culture is bringing them down a little bit. And so so she stays the course. I'm hoping she'll go off the, the medicine. And then, of course, there's a chance for recurrence in the future. We'll just give her a lab test, and we'll see how she does. Now, I'll give you an example of another lady in my practice who is doing great on the same kind of regimen but fell off the wagon. And when I say that, she was a type 2 diabetic. Her, she was on completely controlled. She still took some metformin, but it was off all other medicines. And weight was controlled and doing great. And of course, stress in the life occurred, went off the diet. Um, and on the same dosage of her methimazole, became super hyperthyroid. It's actually going on right now. Um, and again, there, why did her graves exacerbate? The answer, of course, to everybody is we're not sure because nobody knows, but I know stress played a role for her, and I know going off of the paleo diet played a huge role because her type 2 diabetes and her graves have often mimicked each other in terms of activity, okay? Meaning when she's more insulin resistant than the antibodies are coming back, she's got more of a problem. Mm -hmm. and, and it's probably because they're, they're co-variables, meaning That's right. whether the it's the carbs causing the insulin resistance and or the grains causing the autoimmunity, we don't know for sure. But of course, either one of those theories is, is viable um, in terms of what's causing her problems. So so right now she's up to, so the standard dosage of methimazole is 10 to 30 milligrams. She's gone from 10 up to 20, um, still hyperthyroid, okay, but feeling a little bit better. Um, but the key is, is she's still not doing the diet part of it. So we, this person and, and every doctor who writes a book or whatever else always gives you their success stories, like the first person. 
this this person, and this is why it's so important for everybody to hear, a doctor's success story has almost nothing to do with them. It's how well the person does, okay? My doctor failure story, which is what I'm giving you right now, um, is not as much my fault as the patient would like to blame me for because really if she was following the same recommendations, she'd be doing fine now. Um, and so, by the way, graves might be more common in terms of the ratio of female to male. It's something like 15 to 16 to 1 female to male ratio. So once again, a primarily female disease. Of course, it can still occur in some men. And so so on that order, is it her stress? Is it her um, la- falling off of paleo and falling off of some of the supplements too, by the way? And the answer is yes. That's why she, she uh, she's quote unquote now failing this medicine. And if she fails this medicine, I might end up sending her for radioactive iodine. Unfortunately, she also has the Graves' eye disease. So that's going to get worse if I do that. But if she can't control her thyroid, um, we're subsequently going to have to do something more. So, um, but but be clear, everybody. So, so that is the end result then too, for someone who's gone down this train and nothing's working, whether it's patient compliance or not, let's say she was even being compliant and it still wasn't working. Right. Then you do go ahead and, and kind of what do you, you're kind of zapping the thyroid into what, what is you're you're zapping and making it kind of a non-working gland. I mean, what Correct. technically I mean, happens there? Well, as you know, the idea is that Graves is, is potentially a fatal condition, whereas hypothyroidism is pretty darn easy to treat, okay? And so we want to convert a potentially life-threatening condition into one that's easier to treat, which I think makes sense to everybody out there. We want to keep a thyroid if we can, but if if, if we need to, we, need, we do radioactive iodine. By the way, this is done at a radiology department. They look at the size of the thyroid. They calculate out the dosage. It sometimes takes a second dosage if they don't do enough the first time. But anyways, that's handled by the nuclear medicine department of your local hospital. Um, and so, and we and we immediately, I mean, when I say immediately, within weeks, usually the person is becoming hypothyroid, okay, uh, meaning low thyroid. Um, and so on that order, um, that's easier to treat. And yes, you're pretty much knocking the thyroid out entirely. It's almost like doing surgery. It's like it's not there because you've, as you've killed the thyroid. And obviously, if you've killed the thyroid, you're not going to make too much thyroid hormone. Right. So they wait a few weeks after that surgery test, and then they go with dosages of thyroid hormone replacement. And then, of course, the standard is going. And at this point, we'd say either Synthroid or in the Naturethroid or the other things. You know, you'd do whatever would seem to be simple for the person. Um, and so, and yes, and now you just, you know, the person is going to be hypothyroid for the rest of their life, obviously. Okay. Um, but you know, we can treat that fairly easily and it's just safer. It's a safer condition to treat because if, especially if the person is being non-compliant, do you want the person non-compliant with a, a less severe illness or a more severe illness? And the answer is I'd take the less severe illness. So yes, I occasionally do radioactive iodine. I'm hoping I'm not going to have to in this case, but um, and it's been a long time since I've done that, uh, with all the reasons we just talked about. But um, so, so anyway, so Graves' disease. Well, I didn't. I found that interesting. Your point about, um, and I did not know that at all. That removing it versus zapping it. That zapping it might be the better choice for someone um, because having an actual gland contributes or or getting rid of the gland would contribute more to maybe that eye disease and some other factors there. Well, that's, that's fascinating. That's actually the thing nowadays where they're saying, gosh, if we can. So first of all, surgery, you don't want to take a thyroid out if you don't have to. Surgery has its share of complications. So most people don't start with surgery for that reason. 
surgery in hyperthyroid patients can be very dangerous. So again, that's another reason not to do surgery. But the movement for, for some doctors is, wow, we know radioactive iodine isn't as good as we want it to. So let's get the thyroid hormone controlled as well as we can. And instead of doing radioactive iodine, let's just cut the thyroid out. Okay. But then that ends up with parathyroid problems and other things. So I still, if I, my second line approach is always going to be, I shouldn't say always, for the foreseeable. Save the thyroid if you can. Save the thyroid if you can, and then zap it, which is safer than doing surgery. Okay. Um, if you have to, sorry. You know, and, and so, surgery is really applicable for thyroid cancer. Right? Thyroid is, so that's kind of when you cut it out is when someone's got thyroid that's cancer. That's the, the primary reason when you suspect you're suspicious of and or know that it's thyroid cancer, that's when you do surgery because, again, that's the best choice. You know after surgery for thyroid cancer, they end up doing radioactive thyroid anyway, okay? So um, so you'll get both for thyroid cancer because you do radioactive thyroid, uh, excuse me, radioactive iodine, excuse me. Um, you do radioactive iodine is uh, to make sure that there's no uh, metastatic cells you're trying to zap rest of any thyroid cancer that might be in the body. So um, the standard of care these days is to do the take the thyroid out and do radioactive iodine afterwards. Um, so, uh, but, um, and, but that's for thyroid cancer people. And so, um, and so, which is obviously a different condition. And so, and, and by the way, th- most thyroid cancers present basically because you know, of, of your doctor being suspicious and finding something on your thyroid and doing, and doing the ultrasounds and looking for things, um, biopsying if necessary, but that's a different condition. Whether thyroid, you know, um, there's a slight increase anytime you have autoimmunity of any kind, there's going to be a slight increased risk of thyroid cancer, but in and of itself, it's not, you treat the underlying condition, try to make the autoimmunity go away. It's not about just putting the, you know, screening for thyroid cancer any more than we usually do. Thank you so much. I hope this helps everyone out there who might be suffering from hyperthyroidism and gets everyone on the right path. And of course, our book, The Paleothyroid Solution is available for everybody uh, to get on the right path there. Uh, any any thoughts you'd like to leave our audience with on this subject? Um, yes. Uh, make sure you check in with, uh, if you do see an endocrinologist, also make sure you look in with your local integrative medicine physician or your uh, favorite uh, naturopathic physician who can work with you in conjunction with the standard therapies that you get from the endocrinologist. And, and, that's, and, and I'm talking about for hyperthyroidism as well as hypo now, because um, I know, like we talked about, our book does look at... Um, the uh, um, from a hypothyroid standpoint, but a take-home message, and I really want everybody to hear this, an autoimmune hyperthyroidism known as Graves, I actually think the recommendations we made are even more important because it's a more severe uh, disease. Correcting the underlying, especially using selenium, especially correcting vitamin D, and especially doing the paleo part of it. I think that's probably more important for our Graves patients than even our, our Hashimoto's patients. Um, of course, it's important for them too, L. But you know, um, so that's why it's so so relevant. And yes, even though it's not as common out there, it's a more severe illness. And make sure you get treated, because I do, as a, a Western doctor, see the people who don't want to, don't trust doctors at all. Don't mess with Graves. Okay, right. go see a doctor. I'll and and do it in conjunction with your favorite. Chinese traditional medicine doctor or naturopath or whoever else it is, but get some, get an MD on, on your side as well. Thank you so much. And, uh, we look forward to having you back. We're going to do some more podcasts here coming up on some different subjects. Thank you so much and have a great day. And if anyone's interested again, the paleothyroid solution on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, 
You can also find out more about Dr. Forsman at his website, middlepathmedicine.com. And you can find out more about me at lruss.com. Thanks again. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. And I'd like to tell you about my biggest undertaking yet, the Primal Health Coach Program. My mission is to create a global network of primal health coaches to help transform the health and consciousness of our communities into ones of optimal wellness and happiness. Becoming a primal health coach empowers you to take your primal passions to the next level and embark on a career you love, inspiring others to live lives of vitality and lasting wellness. If you dream of a career in health coaching but have been held back by worries such as the investment of time and money, then I encourage you to hesitate no longer. Health coaching is the fastest growing specialty in all of coaching, and we've created an online education program that allows you to learn from the comfort of your own home and at your own pace. The world needs primal health coaches to provide a blend of ancestral wellness solutions to the modern health crisis. The world needs you. Are you ready to become one of the world's most trusted, experienced, and knowledgeable health coaches? To learn more about this online certification program and to take the first step toward a career you love, visit PrimalHealthCoach.com and subscribe.